Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. We just watched episodes one and two of The Invasion. The Invasion, in quotes. <laughs> yes, in quotes. Yeah, this is, uh, I don't know if it starts to run, I know there's at least one more story that has, I think the Space Pirates has it in quotes as well. I can't remember if the Crotons did. But uh, as I remarked to you, I think pretty much every episode of Babylon 5 had the episode title in quotes too, I think. Until season five. I think there were no quotes in season five. That was the one big change with season five. <laughs> yeah, totally. But, you know, that is that is the appropriate way to 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 do something. You know, if you're writing a, a, a report uh, or a publication, um, the at least the old school way to do it was episode titles and quotation marks. And then, you know, the title of a, a book or a movie or an actual TV show would be either italicized or or underlined so they were you know whoever did this was just following the rules because i'm sure at that time there were no air quotes to to be sarcastic about something in the first place i i bet you it's uh you know as we'll as we'll get to in later on spoilers there's a there's a doctor who story called doctor who and the silurians <laughs> because it was just shorthand that they, that's what they called it and so they just put it to screen like that and i'm wondering if the script said the invasion so can, can you make a title for this Okay, so they put the quotes on then, and so that's what they did, and now we have that. Mm-hmm. The uh, sort of ramshackle nature of some of the production details of early Doctor Who is is quite delightful. It really is. It's quite fascinating, actually. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is the beginning of the end in a way. This is the last production block for Patrick Troughton and company, um, because it's the the thirty five episode thirty five thirty five. Don't look at me. I have absolutely no idea. That sounds like math. Eight plus four plus six plus six plus ten. What is that? That sounds like even more math. Ask Google if you want to know. I don't want to know. Okay. Uh, it wouldn't be 35 because, anyway, this is the last uh, recording block of the 1960s of the black and white era. Mm-hmm. Um but it feels very much like the beginning of an entirely new era because there's unit and the brigadier and there's a whole operation going on. And it kind of early on, it feels like, especially when the brigadier in episode two is, you know, explaining unit and what they're mm-hmm. there for. It feels very much like a pilot episode. It's, I just love the brigadier. Like he just shows up and he is just suave as all get out and just he's got that twinkle in his eye and it's very like he's the same, you know, as same character as he was when he was the colonel, but that was in such different circumstances. He was he was under an awful lot of stress and you know, for a big chunk of that story we weren't really supposed to know if we could even trust him. Mm-hmm. And here he's he's been promoted, he's in charge of this new effort, he's uh, less skeptical as he said um and and yeah he is just he is the man yeah he he's never in charge like literally or figuratively in the web of fear you know his unit has been like disintegrated he's found wandering the the the, uh the underground and like even that and he's sort of like chasing around trying to sort of find the yeti and then when he finds them all his men get killed he's never in a position of power so to see him it's, it's almost like a validation for him you know there's these giant aircraft you know um on this tarmac and the 
climbs down a big ladder from somewhere. It's like it's almost a Bond villain entrance, <laughs> given how clandestine Benton, who make, also makes his first uh, Doctor Who appearance, uh, bring the Doctor and Jamie there. But then it turns out, no, as you say, it's good old friendly Brig. Yep. And the Doctor and Jamie's reaction is is quite adorable as well. Like, Jamie's like, oh, it's the same guy. Like, it's just, it's mm-hmm. very cute. Yep. Yeah. Um, the first episode's animated. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> it's it's fine. I um I I feel like the doctor and Zoe look fine, pretty fine to me. J- there's something about Jamie's face that just kind of freaks me out. So I, I had trouble looking at him. Oh, really? Was that bad? Was it? Yeah, it just there was something. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know, like weirdly unfinished and inhuman in a way. Like I thought they did Zoe's eyes really nicely, and you know, Patrick Troughton's face has a lot of you know, character and like lines to it. So there's mm-hmm. a little bit more to to animate. But Jamie's face was just like this smooth blank block of roundness. I don't know. It's just, it was just weird. But it is nice to have it to have it animated for for people who enjoy that sort of thing i think at some point i'd like to watch telesnap um reconstruction because i've never seen that i think i've only ever seen animated versions well as i alluded to last uh episode possibly uh the mind robber part three was the last episodes to have oh, telesnap right. so no telesnaps actually right. exist for one in form so we would only get an approximation anyway okay well then this is just fine Yep. Yeah, I'm afraid so. As you can tell, like some of the the shots they used in the animated version, you could tell were sort of like shots that were actually from episode two, like of uh, Isabel Watkins lying down on the ground taking pictures of Zoe, for instance, and like and uh, Zoe's particular pose. I I really <laughs> doubt they had her doing exactly the same pose in episode one and in episode two mm-hmm. after two hours of shooting. Maybe though. Maybe that's why. Isabel Watkins is having a hard time getting work because <laughs> she just keeps using the same pose for all her models. Mm-hmm. She just keeps trying the same. She's just trying to hone her craft is all. So like you just take the same. It's it's like a Zen thing. You just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again until you've truly perfected it. Right. Or in an insane thing where you just keep <laughs> doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results. Um, I mentioned Isabel Watkins because she is the reason why you have seen this story relatively recently because you you talked about it on Verity. That's correct. I had already seen the invasion previous to that as well. But uh, last year was our, our year of women on Verity and we did a bunch of little mini arcs and one of them was on uh, companions, companions. So women who were on the show that were sort of like companions of the companions. And in this case, uh, we made the argument that Isabel is Zoe's companion, which I think is, is pretty clear right from the beginning. Yeah, everyone sort of pairs off and has their own companions. So there's the Dr. Jamie, there's uh, Isabel, who is Zoe's, there is Packer, who is Tobias Vaughn's companion. Uh, <laughs> some of them, sometimes they fulfill the same roles, but... Yes, I am. I mean, speaking of Bond villains, you know, you're talking about the Briggs entrance, but the, the Packer is basically a Bond villain. He's just he talk about suave and smooth, like you on both sides of the spectrum here. You've got um, men who are are very very good at what they do and very sort of large and in charge. And yeah, Bond saying Packer is my favorite thing. In episode one, he says Packer directly to Packer five times and he says the name Packer three times when talking about him in episode two he says Packer directly to him six times it is just like 
I don't I, I kind of want to know if that was in the script or if that was a thing that Kevin Stoney sort of added as an affectation as part of the performance. I don't know, but he just he addresses him directly way more than is, is absolutely necessary, given the dialogue that he's saying. And, and you know, the way that T- Tobias Vaughn is so suave, it's almost like him constantly referring to him by his name is almost a cut down. It's almost mm-hmm. like he's patronizing towards him, you know? <laughs> yeah, putting him in his place. I yeah. I own you. I have control over everything about you, including your name. Yeah. And he's, you know, um, it doesn't necessarily remain this way, but he is just so calm and smooth and delightful. And, you know, Zoe and Isabel wreck uh, um, his reception computer with Algol, and he, like, he laughs, <laughs> you know? And you know, there's another perfect moment where you could tell, like, there's a sinister side to him where he's talking to uh, Jeffrey, is it? The the scientist who's looking at the circuits. And he goes, oh, you know, please take all the time you need. Take one hour. You know, in the same sense, just like, take all. And then like just lays it down the line that he is actually pretty um, brutal. It's actually smoother than that. He doesn't say take all the time you need. Yeah. He just says, oh, take time. And then, and then, as right. the guy turns around to walk away, he says, "Take one, one hour." <laughs> Delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, what helps uh, lay down the atmosphere to Tobias Font is the omnipresent music from Don Harper. With the, I don't actually, although I don't think the the music that plays in Vaughn's office is Harper. I think it's stock music for that. But just mm-hmm. this tinkling piano, this sort of music mm-hmm. that's going on in the background. It's, just, it's always there. I can't tell if it's always like if it's supposed to be diegetic or not because that's the the music mm-hmm. that only ever plays in Vaughn's office, and I could sort of see him like have mm-hmm. this, this lounge music going the whole time people are in there. Yeah, that was kind of the way I I read it too. Like you know, you you look at it and it's a very sort of like you know the office itself is is very. 60s modern and you know I love the idea that there's like you know this sort of a dentist's office jazz music just playing all the time because he's that stylish mm-hmm. of a guy yeah I have um I think I might make that my new alarm clock music mm. that might be preferable to some of the other stuff I have it would definitely be preferable to the crap you're using right now no offense i don't i don't like it it it, i mean i suppose after a certain amount of time any music that you use as an alarm becomes uh uncomfortable but but yeah it's isn't it just like one of like the stock iphone sounds now no not for mine no oh what what is it which one I don't know whatever whatever it is that wakes you up in the morning. Oh, in the morning. Uh, well, I try to um, have like just the, well, that one is like the nature sounds or something. Yeah. Like that. I thought you liked that. Uh, well, not anymore. I did it first, but now oh. I'm sick of it. It's just <laughs> you know, waking up to anything. I don't wake up to sounds. I wake up to vibration on my Fitbit, so I don't I don't have to get sick of a <clears throat> a noise. That's true. Mm-hmm. It'd be kind of neat waking up to that music. Then I'll, okay, mm-hmm. I'll try and uh, institute a change, perhaps. Yeah, I like I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah, but the the music in uh, in the rest of the uh, the episodes is is also quite uh, perfect. It just feels right for this story. It's all it's all over the place. That's what I love about it. I don't know if that was like. Well, I imagine it's. Uh, I think directors had a lot more control over it because this is music that's being played in during the episode. Like this, the, we're still not to where music is dubbed in after the fact. So the director is definitely going, "I want music here, 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 and here," and saying, "Can you provide it?" And there's a bunch of tracks. It came out on Mark Ayers remastered it, and they put it out 
the soundtrack for the invasion, like all the sound cues, and there are a ton of them. It's a lot of music on there, and they just have them like mm-hmm. throughout. I, I noticed it when when the doctor and Jamie are are eating sandwiches and looking at uh, the inside of Jamie's little miniature transistor radio, and there's just music going on in the background there. Like it's 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 so rare, especially you know in watching stories like the Dominators, which has no music apart from little radiophonic stings, mm-hmm. to this where there is music everywhere which is it it provides a neat oral atmosphere you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah i like it. i also just want to point out the fact that they uh that zoe and isabel have left sandwiches just sitting out yeah. and then jamie and the doctor wander in and oh sandwiches i'm hungry <laughs> they just dig in of course my first thought of the sandwiches and jamie would have gotten none mm-hmm. yeah we haven't got there yet though nope uh, would you write on a wall instead of using notepad and paper? I think that's a hilarious idea. And it's, it seems very fitting with the kind of uh, freewheeling character that she seems to be. Like, she recently got kicked out of her studio, which you were like, why was she kicked out? And I'm like, she's a photographer. She couldn't afford to pay, or she's she's not even a photographer yet. She's, she's learning to be a photographer. She's a model and managed to earn money for the camera bits and no more for rent. So now she's crashing at her uncle's place. Yeah. Damn mod hippie. That's what she is. Mm-hmm. Can't hold down a job or write on a piece of paper. She's trying to hone her craft. She's learning a skill. And uh, and yeah, she's right. Why not just write on the wall? Like, give me a reason why not to. Because eventually the wall is going to get filled. And then you write, oh, it's somewhere on the wall. Well, where is it? You writ- you've written 18 different times. Hey, I'm here. Meet me here. And then you think, well, which one is it? Paint over it. Start over. It's, it's Maybe it's like an early whiteboard. Maybe you can just wipe it off. Oh, I don't think that existed. You don't know what she was writing with. Maybe she's just writing in pencil. I don't know what she was writing with. Ha. Ha, I say. Please don't write on our walls, okay? We have phones for that now. We can just sort of send each other messages and stuff. Oh, that's fine. We also have a whiteboard. So, that's like, true. which, you know what? A whiteboard is basically writing on the wall. So, we do. That's true. Mm-hmm. Very true. Ha, ha, again, I say. Um, anything else about this uh, this wee episode, uh, these couple episodes of the Invader? I think we're going to watch more tonight, mm-hmm. um, which is exciting. Uh, I do love Zoe destroying the computer. Like, it, obviously, what she's saying is is nonsense. But is it? That might have been Kit Peddler um, and his science background, mm-hmm. possibly Algol. They got the Algol thing. This is nineteen sixty eight. Remember? I, I, it sound it sounded nonsensical. It didn't sound to me like any kind of uh, program that would that would do anything. But um, I mean, I'm going to read up on Algol. Okay, you you do that. Uh, but I just I think it's great that we get to see Zoe using her skills mm-hmm. because you know she she knows a lot about stuff. She's from the future. She's I think she's the doctor is annoyed at computers. Oh yeah, he thinks they're stupid. Um, I think Zoe is just annoyed because this one's so primitive that it won't do what she wants it to do because she's from the future. Yeah, I do I do enjoy how much the uh, the the doctor is annoyed with computers. He, he's also annoyed with them in the Ice Warriors, as you recall. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is at a time still when like computers are still this threat, <laughs> this sort of otherworldly threat that to people's jobs and livelihoods and individuality. I mean, think back to Votan. <clears throat> Take yes, Votan being sort of the main one. Um, although the doctor's almost like admiring of Votan in that, whereas here he's like, oh, a stupid computer, you stupid mm-hmm. machine. 
Yeah, well, you know, first doctor of personality versus second doctor of personality. Second doctor doesn't doesn't quite have the patience for that, I think, no. in the same way. No, they're basically arguing with Siri at the front there, you know, trying to get a decent, mm-hmm. decent response out of them. Yes, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. I also pointed out when we were watching about how Zoe has, like, evolved in that, you know, in, in her early, in her first story in, Web, in Wheel in Space, it's, uh, you know, she's very logical and, you know, this is what happens. We do this because it's logical. And, and she's sitting there distracted when she's talking with Isabel and, and Isabel asks, you know, what's wrong? And she says, oh, it's, I, I just feel like there's something wrong. There's, they're, in, they're both in trouble or something. It's, it's not a logical uh, conclusion. It's just an intuition. I thought that's a remarkable transformation on the part of Zoe to think that now. It is. And also, I think the performance um, from Wendy Padbury is really good because the way that she delivers that line shows that she recognizes, like, you know, she says it in a sort of a troubled and somewhat uncertain way. She recognizes that it's, you know, intuition is not logical. And it's like she's not entirely sure how she feels about the fact that she's having intuition and wanting to to follow it, you know, it's, it's the kind of things she almost certainly picked up from traveling along with the doctor mm-hmm. and Jamie, and mm-hmm. she's she's not quite sure what to do with it yet. And just the relief that she shows when Isabel suggests let's let's go after them is is palpable, and it's just it's neat. Yeah, I think I think her impulsiveness is sort of like being encouraged by someone who is very carefree like Isabel like she says oh well let's just go let's go and find it you know we've eaten two of our four sandwiches but we're just going to leave the sandwiches there and go off and find your friends and and that's what we'll do and that's what they did the teddy bears picnic is over and <laughs> yeah and now we're just going to head on out such a hipster the fact that she gets an old gramophone to play old you know that is very much Hip, hipster behavior in 1968 or should I say 1970 although I, I don't think they say it's 1975 on screen but apparently this story takes place in 1975 because they say like did the Brigadier say like some years ago or something like that said four years ago four years ago yeah so do we know when the web of fear took place I think that, well this begins the unit ah. dating controversy you see <laughs> so yeah who knows when uh, they, the, the Doctor Who writers do their best to try and present it as uh, the the near future and then somewhere there's a camera uh, that catches a calendar that's clearly the day that they shot the episode and all that is thrown out. And then later, of course, Modern Undead, but um, mm-hmm. we'll get to that later. <laughs> Time goes a little fuzzy around the 70s and, and 80s. That's all. That's all it is. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. When unit's involved, when unit's on the case... Unit is on the case. Yeah. Yeah, with their fancy, shiny planes and cars. And Jaunty music. And skinny ties. <laughs> and <laughs> It's like the weirdest music. It's like, dunk, dunk, dunk. There's this little bouncy little theme, and then there's like this this noodling melody, toodling melody that, melody that just, it doesn't seem to belong in that same song. But uh, No, and it doesn't like, when I think of Unit, that music is not the kind of thing that I think of but now for a while at least it's going to be and I'm going to giggle every time until you hear the official unit theme which they use all of twice in the Pertwee era and I cannot wait for you to hear it oh boy I'm so excited well because we're on a deadline now because Verity is covering Mm -hmm. um this season seven because it's your year of sevens on Verity it being their seventh anniversary of Verity and in sometime in mid-March, you're covering 
the beginning of the covering of season seven of Pertwee. So we have to get through <laughs> this trout and stuff. Not that we're like rushing through it because we want to enjoy it as well, but we have to get through it in the next month and a half essentially so that we don't have to watch like Doctor Who and the Silurians, for instance, and then watch it again the like over <laughs> next week because that'll just be overkill. So, yep. I'm not promising anything, but it's 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 kind of neat to have a goal for a change. I know to be slightly you know lazy, but with a goal. So like mm-hmm. you know structured laziness. Sure, call it that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do that, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll do that by watching more episodes of uh, of of Doctor Who uh, later tonight. After this, after we press stop on this recording, we're gonna watch some more Doctor Who. I think so. Hooray! Hooray! Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.